you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to encourage you on this Sunday before Christmas to turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 26 through 33, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, um, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you or underneath the chairs, that row in front of you, there should be. And if you're here this morning and if you've never used a Bible before, you don't even know how to use a Bible, I want you to know that is okay. There's no problem with that. You can just listen. I'm going to read everything that I'm going to explain, so you can just listen as I share with you this morning. This is the great visit of the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary, and Luke records it this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, our first point this morning is the greatest announcement. It has been said that the greatest announcement in all of history was the announcement by the angel Gabriel of the birth of the Christ child. Now, the announcement came at a time in history that was or could be described as mundane and routine. People just went about their lives in a normal, routine way. We think way back to the book of Genesis, when the great flood came up on the earth, and it says that people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, which simply means they were going about their ordinary lives. When it all happened, and that's the thought here, when this great announcement was made, people were just going about their routine lives. Now, the greater context, the greater biblical context here is there had been 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence from the prophet Malachi until the Gospel of Matthew. 400 years of silence between the last Old Testament prophet Malachi and the last prophet of all, John the Baptist. And during those 400 years, and the reason they're called the 400 years of silence, there were no angelic visits, there was no new revelation from God, and there were no miracles that took place. So generations were born and generations died. Silence. Silence. But in a very short period of time, all of that dramatically changed. The 400 years of silence is broken when the angel Gabriel comes to a priest named Zechariah. 
Zechariah was serving in the temple of the Lord and Gabriel announced to him that his wife Elizabeth, who had been barren all of her adult life, was probably now in her late 60s or early 70s, announced to him that she would now give birth to a son and that son would be John the Baptist. And in verse 26, when it speaks of in the sixth month, it is speaking of the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And all you have to do is read through Luke chapter 1. You don't have to take my word for it. Just read through the context, read through the flow of chapter 1, and you will see that the sixth month that is being referred to here is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Well, our second point this morning is Gabriel's visit. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee. And it said in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, just a little bit of background here. Gabriel is only one of two angels who are ever named in the Bible. Besides Gabriel, the only other angel that is named is the archangel Michael. Gabriel clearly appears to have in both Old and New Testament the responsibility, the primary responsibility of being God's messenger of great announcements. And Gabriel was sent to Mary from God. He comes from God, and we think of Gabriel as this amazing, angelic being. Uh, We think back to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. There is this powerful chapter, this powerful scene in Daniel, chapter 9, where Daniel is agonizing in prayer. He is praying, he is confessing his sins and the sins of his people, Israel. And the angel Gabriel comes to him and makes this complicated but amazing announcement about the 70 weeks that are to come. And it is this same Gabriel that comes to Mary. Now, if you want to go up the chapter just a little bit in verse 19, it says this. It says, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. This is when he speaks to Zechariah, but this helps us to understand who is coming to Mary. I don't know what it is about verse 19, but if we have childlike innocence, childlike faith, this is an absolutely astounding verse, verse 19. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Here is an angel a real angel. This is not science fiction. This is not a fairy tale. This is an historical fact. Gabriel stands in the presence of God, stands near the very throne of God, and he was sent to earth twice in this very short period of time, first to Zechariah, then to Mary. And so I just want you to think with me this morning. He's coming from heaven. He makes the great trip from the throne of God 
to Nazareth in Galilee. This actual, literal angel comes to this young teenage girl. 400 silent years. 400 years of silence. But now the angel Gabriel has made two trips to earth in less than a year. And both times he comes with extraordinary birth announcements, first about John the Baptist and then about Jesus. And he comes to Nazareth in Galilee. Now, if you were a reader at this particular time in the context of first century history, Nazareth would not have been well known to you, but Galilee would have been. And it's very possible that Luke makes sure his readers know that it's Nazareth in Galilee. Galilee was a very known, well-known district and region. And Galilee was an interesting place. It was under or part of Israel, but it had a lot of Gentiles that intersected their lives. They would come for commerce and trade and other activities. So there were a lot of Gentiles in Galilee. And this is another sermon for another day. But just to tell you, There's so much here. It appears that this great announcement is made so that we know that God has not only come to give this announcement to Israel, he has come to give this announcement to the nations. It's for every tribe and tongue and people. And so there's something so wonderful going on here when Gabriel comes to this young virgin named Mary. And it says in verses 28 through 30, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now I want to share something with you this morning. I want to be sensitive to the fact that we have a lot of visitors. In a lot of ways, this has been approached. So what I'm about to say is not a criticism on how others have preached on this, but I think it's important for us to think about this morning. Gabriel's announcement to Mary is amazing, but often misunderstood. Usually we take these verses to mean that Mary was a really special girl. And that's why God sent Gabriel to her. Now, please don't misunderstand me this morning, please. I've preached on Mary before. Many have preached on Mary, and she was, evidently, though we don't know a lot about her background, a very devout, young Hebrew girl, probably in her early teens. We know from her song of praise later in this chapter, Luke chapter 1, known as the Magnificat, that she had a, a great depth of faith. We do know that. But some have exalted Mary to a place that the Bible never gives to her. Throughout evangelical Protestant Christianity, we have had a significant difference with the Roman Catholic Church on the place of Mary. And part of it comes from this passage. The Latin Vulgate translation translates verse 28 as, Hail, Mary, full of grace, which is an unfortunate translation. The English Standard Version, which I am preaching from this morning, has a much better 
translation. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So Mary was a devout young Hebrew girl, but this is what I want you to understand. Gabriel is not saying God is coming to you because you're really special and you're the only one who could really carry out this mission. That is not what he's saying. I want you to know this morning that God could have chosen any young, devout Hebrew virgin girl that he wanted. And there were probably others like Mary in Israel at this particular time. Here is the thought. Here is what I want you to understand. When it says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He is not saying, hey, God is with you in some really special way that he, is with, that he isn't with anyone else. He's not saying. He is saying, greetings, O favored one. I want you to know I have come to tell you God is with you in this. And here's the thought. God in his sovereignty chose Mary for his own purpose and plan. In the wisdom of the council of the triune Godhead, he chose Mary not because she was really special, but because she was the one that God chose to use. Even in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. God is favoring you. God is favoring you. God is showing you his mercy and his grace. So please understand, Mary was a sinful young woman, a sinful person just like all of us. In verse 47, she refers to him in her song of praise, in the Magnificent, as God my Savior. Mary needed a Savior just like I need a Savior and you need a Savior. That is not in any way to minimize her godliness. But I want you to know, God chose her of his own sovereign will to be the chosen one to bring the Christ child into the world. Let me put it this way. Mary is not the dispenser of grace. She is the recipient of grace. Okay, does that make sense to you this morning? She is not the one who dispenses grace She is the one who is receiving grace. Mary was the mother of Jesus because of the grace and mercy of God upon her. Yes, devout and godly, but that's not the primary reason she was chosen. She was, the primary reason she was chosen is because God chose to choose her. It was in God's sovereign will to choose her. He decided on this young woman. Now, having said that, I just wanted to clarify that with you. Mary was greatly troubled by Gabriel's words. In verse 30, it says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Undoubtedly, she was frightened by the angel's words. She hadn't seen an angel before. I'm guessing all of us, if we had an angelic visit, we'd be pretty terrified. It would be awkward. It would be uncomfortable, something we had never experienced. And notice that Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. She was greatly troubled at what the angel 
was saying, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Because in verse 31, he says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. You see, I think part of the reason that Mary was greatly troubled is because she was wondering, why me? Better than us. Mary knew that she was a sinful young woman. Oh, she sought to serve and honor Jehovah God with all of her heart. But she knew that she was weak and sinful and in need of a Savior. And she's probably wondering, why me? And that's why Gabriel reassures her in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God is going to be with you in this. The very presence of God is going to be with you. So don't worry. And let me say this. I'm not putting it on the same plane as this great, unique event within the unfolding revelation of God. But if God ever uses you, as I know he has many of us, for his kingdom purposes, if you are used for the gospel, if you are used to spread his name, one of the questions you should ask, why me? Why me? And know this, it's only because of the grace and mercy of God. It's because of the grace and mercy of God. It's not because you're some really great person and God couldn't have done it through anyone but you. No. No, whatever, whatever ministry we're given, whether it's preaching, teaching, going to the poor, whatever it is, helping others, we do it by His grace and His mercy because He allows us to. Well, our third point this morning is the incredible child. If Gabriel's visit was startling, think of how Mary must have felt when he told her she would give birth to a son. Again, in verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary, a young teenage girl, and for those of you who weren't here, last Sunday morning I preached on the virgin birth, so we went through a lot of this. Most believe Mary was probably somewhere around 13 or 14 years old, a very young Hebrew girl. And she is told that she's going to be with child and give birth to a son. Now forgive me for the obvious. Mary knows. Mary knows there's only one way to become pregnant, and that's by having relations with a man. And she had never had relations with a man. In verse 34, which I'm not covering this morning, if you just drop down there, it says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? If you're using the ESV, if you're using the English Standard Version, you have a footnote in your Bible that says it could be translated could be translated rather than virgin I have never known a man or I did not know a man how can this be since I've never known a man how can this be since I've not known a man but the angel simply tells her behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus so she is given this incredible 
amazing announcement that is beyond human comprehension. And she is to give her son a very specific name. It is the name Jesus, even as I mentioned to you last week. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Jeshua or Jehoshua, which means Jehovah saves. When the angel comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, he says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So she is going to give birth as a virgin. She's going to bear a son and she is to give him the name Jesus, which we know means he will save his people from their sins. Well, the most amazing news of all is that the child Mary would give birth to would be the long-awaited Messiah. As if this isn't enough, then we read in verses 32 and 33, this is what Gabriel says to this young virgin girl about this son that she is to bear without ever having relations with a man, Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. What statements in these two verses. I want to share briefly what each of them mean. Please know that each of them is a sermon in itself. Each of them is a sermon in itself because there's so much there. But Mary is not only to give birth to a son, being a virgin, but she's going to give birth to the greatest person in the universe. Said he will be great. Interesting, there is no one English word that adequately translate the word that it, for which great is used here. He will be great. It could be translated, he will be amazing. He will be marvelous. He will be all-powerful. He will be filled with splendor. The word great here is a good translation, but... There is no one word that can really adequately describe what is meant here. He will be great and powerful and full of splendor and majestic. Oh, Mary, the baby you will bear will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, this is a variation of a term that Mary would have been familiar with because of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the term God Most High, which is the name of God El Elyon, was familiar to the Hebrews, familiar to the Jewish people. He will be called the Son of the Most High. What Gabriel is saying to Mary is... The son you are about to give birth to will be God most high. He will think like God. He will speak like God. 
He will teach like God. He will do miracles like God. Because he is God. He isn't just granted divinity. His very essence, his very being is divine. Let me put it this way. Mary is about to give birth to God. She's about to give birth to the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Mary, he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. I think this is difficult for us to try to grasp what this must mean to a person of Jewish descent, to someone heaped in Hebrew faith and culture. This is the final person to sit on David's throne. This is the one they had all waited for. This is the fulfillment, the ultimate complete fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Mary's son, who she is to give the name Jesus, is going to sit on David's throne. The long-awaited one who would finally fulfill all the prophecies related to the throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He has come to be the ruler of Israel. But not only the ruler of Israel, but the one who will finally fulfill God's purpose and destiny for Israel because God's purpose and destiny for Israel was always to be a light to the nations. To take the gospel to the nations, to every tribe and tongue and people. And so he will reign over the house of Jacob and by consequence will result will rule and reign over all of God's people. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. He's going to rule forever and ever. Now as a church, our particular view of the end times is that we believe there's going to be a literal millennial kingdom of which Jesus will rule and reign that will give way to the new heavens and the new earth. But whatever your view here this morning is of how the end times are going to unfold, this is amazing. This means this son, this Jesus, is going to rule over his people and to rule over the kingdom he will establish and he is to rule and reign over it forever and ever. And we think of the magnificent words of Handles, hallelujah chorus, and he shall reign forever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever. The child named Jesus is destined to become the greatest ruler the world will ever know. So don't miss it here. Gabriel gives us a beautiful summary of the ultimate goal of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Here is the ultimate goal of Jesus' perfect life, his miraculous ministry, his substitutionary death, and his glorious resurrection. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Oh, he came very specifically to provide redemption or salvation for you and for me, but not just salvation for you and for me, but ultimately to be the sovereign ruler of all things. Don't miss that. Yes, he came to give me a full and free forgiveness through the free gift of salvation that is found in the substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ. But he also came to be the sovereign ruler of all things. And so I pray that this passage of Scripture will inspire you this Christmas season to allow the true King, King Jesus, to have full rule and authority in your life. As Isaac Watts wrote, he came to make his glories known far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Throughout all the earth, throughout all the universe. And so I say to you, do not resist the king. Do not resist the king. He came to rule in your life. He wants more than we could ever express to be the Lord and Savior of your life. That's what he wants. And if you've never come to a conscious place in your life where you've repented of your sin and received Christ as your Savior, there would be nothing more important for you to do this Christmas season to invite Jesus to come into your life, to rule and reign in your life, to be your Lord and Savior, to help you to realize the fullness of who you were created to be and to live in the full joy of his glory and fellowship with him. Oh, but if you know him this morning, if you know him, remember, he not only rules in your heart and life now, but he will rule over you forever and ever. And that's why we come. We come to worship the king in all of his glory, in all of his splendor. And in one moment in time, an angel, a literal, actual angel comes from the very throne of God and makes his way to Nazareth in Galilee and announces this to Mary, that as a virgin, she is going to give birth to a son She's to call him Jesus. And he will be the savior of the world. He will be the greatest person the universe has ever known. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with worship and praise for the king. The king who came into our world as a babe who lived a perfect, sinless life, who died in our place, who rose from the dead and now offers his salvation, his forgiveness as a free gift. 
How could we ever say thank you enough? This Christmas season, I pray that we would be filled with the awe and wonder of our King, in whose name we pray. Amen.